0: Joe Biden last week said that systemic racism is a stain on our nation's soul. This is not the first time he used the phrase soul of America. Fighting for the soul of America was plastered all over his campaign ads. Conservative media and Christians also have been using that same phrase, we are fighting for the soul of America. So how can both sides be fighting for the same soul? Well, they are both fighting for the nation's soul. The difference is the left is fighting to destroy the American soul. We are fighting to preserve the American soul. Don't you think that it's ironic that soul has a deep spiritual meaning attached to it, but yet the left wants nothing to do with anything spiritual? They are only concerned with power and control. None of that, as the deer pants for water, so I long for you, I thirst for God, the living God. Psalms 42 or Psalms 143.6 my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. What I'm trying to get at here is that fighting for the soul of America is more than an intellectual or political pursuit. It is spiritual at its very core. It's not over racism or transgenderism, immigration, uh, critical race theory, gender identity, voting, integrity, abortion, or even socialism. These are just strategies or skirmishes to achieve an end. The real war is a spiritual war that is between good and evil, between the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, between America's soul longing for God or longing for power and dominance. Back in June of last year, Trump stood in front of St. John's Episcopal Church, which had just been vandalized by rioters, and he held up a Bible in his hand. The left went absolutely nuts because he dared to hold up a Bible. Rush Limbaugh said at the time that was like showing Dracula the cross to the left. You see, we've never been here before. Of all the conflicts, disagreements, and fights that we've had with each other in America, we have never lost the core of who we are. We have never lost our souls. Not even in the Civil War did we lose our souls. Abraham Lincoln, speaking of praying to God for his intervention, said that both read the same Bible and both pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. You see, this demonstrates that even in the civil war, while they were fighting over slavery and the country was in danger of being split in two, the soul of America was still deeply seated in the country, North and South. They were splitting over an issue, not its soul. It's much like church splits. Most of the time it's over some issue they don't give up the core principles of Christianity. Most of the time, they are divided over some issue. Today, however, only one side reads the same Bible. Only one side prays to the same God. That is why there is so much fear, tension, and uncertainty right now. It's not a particular issue that we are fighting for. The very soul of America is at stake. Today's podcast is part one of a two-part series that examines the phrase soul of America. I'm going to answer three questions. What is the soul of America? Number two, what happens if America loses its soul? And three, how do we fight to preserve the American soul? So let's dive in. What is the soul of America? Well, the dictionary definition of the word soul is the moral and emotional nature of human beings the essence of a person's nature. So what is the moral and emotional nature of America? What is its essence? If you were to ask the left, they would say that it is one of theft and racism. If you ask people who still love this country, they might say something like freedom or liberty. If you were to ask a Christian, they might say something like the Bible or Jesus. Well, I believe that's true, but that's like asking your child, what did you learn at church today? And they say, well, I learned about God. Okay. But I was looking for something just a little bit more detailed. Well, that's something more detailed I think can be found in first Corinthians 10 31, where, where Paul said, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is, is where the essence and moral nature of America can be found. That in everything that we do, we do to honor and glorify God. This is what has made America unique. From the early colonial charters that stated that the forming of these colonies was for the purpose of advancing Christianity. To the art that reflected God's creation. To the inventor's that were motivated by their Christian faith. To the letters of our founders, they all did to the glory of God. This is why Americans were builders and developed the greatest nation in the world is because they did it unto the Lord. There was excellence in all they did. They weren't just building for profit. They were building unto the Lord. We were building at such speeds in the beginning that the world started paying attention to us. A young Frenchman, Alec de Tocqueville, came to observe America. And he noticed that uh, Americans are always busy building. They no sooner finish one thing and they are off on something else. That is part of the American spirit. Busy building and creating. They were living out their lives to glorify God. They were living out Psalms 19:1. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You see, all of creation was made to give God glory, and they understood that. Especially, God tells us in Isaiah 43, 7, that we, that's me, that's you, were created for his glory. Isaiah says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. This was the mindset of early Americans. I have been created for the glory of God. And so all that I do, I do for the glory of God. Samuel Morris, in the early 1800s, he was an inventor of the telegraph and the Morris Code. In an interview, he was once asked, Professor Morris, when you were making your experiments at the university, did you come to a place of standstill, not knowing what to do next? Morris said, I've never discussed this with anyone, so the public knows nothing about it, but now that you ask me, I tell you frankly, I prayed for more light. The interviewer asked back, did God give you the wisdom and knowledge you needed? Yes, he did, said Morris. That's why I never felt I deserved the honors that came to me from America and Europe because of the invention associated with my name. I had made a valuable application of the use of electrical power, but it was all through God's help. It wasn't because I was superior to other scientists. When the Lord wanted to bestow this gift on mankind, he had to use someone. I'm just grateful he chose to reveal it to me. It's not surprising then that the inventor's first message over the telegraph, the very first transmitted message in history was, What hath God wrought? Meaning that in referring to the telegraph, what has God brought to the world? George Washington Carver, he was a freed slave who was a devoted Christian. He came up with over 300 ways to use the peanut. And he boldly declared that God of the universe was his source of inspiration. You could hear him often say that the Lord has guided me and without my Savior, I'm nothing. He said, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. You see here again, as an American that understood that he had been created for the glory of God. This was the culture of the country. Whatever they did, they did unto the Lord. Early, uh, early American paintings even reflected the glory of God. They reflected the beauty of everyday life. There is paintings of a young mother sewing, of children playing outside, a family sitting around the dining room table, a student taking music lessons from their teacher, a man working in the field, a picnic on top of a mountain, shopping in the marketplace fur traders floating down the river, a simple bowl of fruit sitting on the kitchen table, waterfalls, portraits, churches. The inspiration of art was to showcase God's creation, to express life and how each of us live every day. Nothing dark, nothing crude, nothing pornographic, just a simple everyday life reflecting the wonderful creation of God. Americans were committed to making the community a wholesome place to live and raise a family. They paid attention to every aspect of community life, school needs, charity, fairs, and even elections. To them, this was liberty. This was freedom. This was the pursuit of happiness, building communities that honored God. Their love for God translated into a love for their family and a love for their nation. G.K. Charleston, an English writer, philosopher, and lay theologian said, we love our country because we love our family. And because I love my family, I love my country, my city, and my nation. I don't love them because they do nothing wrong. I love them because they are my family. Sure, not every... One in America held these values, but everyone benefited from those values. And there were enough people who held those values that it influenced the rest of the country and created a godly culture. That spirit was alive and well in America. So, when we hear the phrase, we are fighting for the soul of America, to me it means seeing people recognize His glory and live their lives building a nation where Americans Will once again give glory and honor to God in everything they do. I know that your initial thought might be, right, that's never going to happen. But hasn't this always been the mandate God has given us from the beginning of time? Adam and Eve were to tend the garden to take care of it. They were caretakers of God's creation. When God interfered with the building of the Tower of Babel. He did so because they were not doing it unto the Lord. God called Abraham out and told him he would make a nation as numerous as the stars in the heavens from him. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt to build the new nation of Israel. And the first thing that he instructed them to do was build a place of worship where people could come and glorify and honor God. The early pilgrims and Puritans were motivated to glorify God in all they did. And from that desire, they built communities and eventually an entire nation. Psalms 33.12 says, When a nation honors Him, that nation is blessed. This has been America's past. But let me ask you, what happens if we stop honoring God? What happens if whatever we do is not to the glory of God? well, then we lose our soul. We lose the essence of our being. We lose our core. So what happens if America loses its soul? Let me say this. Have you ever seen those movies where a person steals the soul of another and then controls their behavior, their identities lost? They become like zombies, mindlessly stumbling around in confusion and open to the control of others. Then they are forced to do behavior that would have never done before. Well, that's what happens in America if, if we lose our soul. The left is trying to steal our soul, so we mindlessly stumble around in confusion and are open to their control. And by control, I mean tyranny, despotism, dictatorship. We wake up one day and our liberty's gone. The glory has departed and we are being told that we can't talk about our Christian faith anymore. In fact, we, we see some signs of this already happening. Recently, a student in Florida middle school drama class was asked for a monologue. The student talked about her medical condition and the hardships that she struggles with. At the end of her talk, there was a discussion and the student was asked, how can you be so happy in this condition? And she said, Jesus accepts me for who I am and that keeps me going. Well, the response from the teacher was, sorry, no religious talk in my classroom. We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. So even though it was her complete right, she was not even allowed to mention Jesus, even in passing. Jesus is too uncomfortable to talk about, but I bet transgenderism, homosexuality, critical race theory indoctrination are perfectly comfortable and acceptable topics. Who would have thought that one day churches all over the country are operating as normal, people gathering together, worshiping, singing, praying, hugging, laying hands on the sick, then overnight those same churches are forced to lock down. And in many states a year later, they are still in lockdown. While bars, casinos, real, real tale, retail stores, and even riots are allowed to be open, churches remain closed. Pastors are sitting in jail, daring to oppose these lockdown orders. What about the shadow banning and write out censorship of Christian sites on social media? Dennis Prager had a video out on the on the restrictive list from YouTube because he dared to talk about the Ten Commandments. Testifying before Congress, the YouTube representative said it was because he mentioned murder. He mentioned killing. You know what that was? Thou shalt not kill. But yet, YouTube is filled with videos that use the word kill, murder, and a whole lot more. But thou shalt not kill violates their policy? Of course. We know the real reason why why they restricted it. You see, everything seems to be breaking down. Even the standards of art have been lowered. Statues that represented beauty, the beauty of life, like the famous sculpture of King David sculpted from a rock, it took time and talent to carve out the representation of this biblical character. But in today's art, the rock itself is art like the one seen at the Los Angeles art museum. They moved a 340 ton boulder over 100 miles, costing them $10 million and they set it aside outside the museum. Today that rock itself is art or consider the abstract art we have today, where people smirk and comment that it looks like someone mixed different colors in a paint can and threw it on the canvas. Or consider the sculpture of a woman dressed in riot gear, squatting and urinating on the ground where there is a visual model of the urination puddle. Or the twisted paintings of a gay Jesus. You see, we have replaced the glory of God for the foolishness of man's depravity, as Romans 1 says. This is just the tip of the spear of what is to come. What is to come if we continue on this path? Let me answer that with another question. What is the one thing that man has spent most of his energy on throughout history? Well, it's dominance over other people. Whether you're talking about Alexander the Great, Napoleon Bonaparte, the American Indian tribes, the Aztecs, Mayo, Stalin, or the bully in the neighborhood, mankind has spent much of its energy on ruling over and controlling other people. Well, you know, taking dominance, taking dominion over, ruling over is actually what God instructed Adam to do in the very beginning. Remember when he said, then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over all the earth.'" Subdue it. Have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Taking to dominion over all the earth was God's mandate to Adam and Eve. To dominate the earth with God's glory. Remember Psalms 19.1 that I read. That all creation was made to give glory to God. You see, the devil, though, always has a counterfeit for what God intends. God wants us to take dominion over the earth for his glory. So the devil wants to take dominion over the earth in an attempt to destroy God's glory. So in man's sin nature, his default position is to have dominance over other people, taking away the glory of God for glory to himself. Dinesh D'Souza calls this the conquest ethic. He said that most countries are founded in conquest. Looking at Europe, there was conquest. Conquest and more conquest. Look at Britain. Before becoming an empire, it was conquered by the Norman kings of France and earlier by the Romans. Before the British came, India was invaded by the Persian and Mongols, the Afghans, the Arabs, and Alexander the Great. Conquest was how wealth was acquired not through entrepreneurship, invention, or business. Historically, every culture has despised entrepreneurials and merchants. In India, we have the caste system, who at the top, you have the priest. And the entrepreneurial is one step from the bottom. You see, America was different. Instead of dominance over the people, the power of the individuals at least. Instead of subjects, Americans were citizens. An understanding of biblical principles were applied and the results have been the greatest, most exceptional and benevolent country in the world. So all we have to do is convince 350 million people that in everything they do, due to the glory of God. So how do we do this? How do we create a culture that returns to the idea of giving glory to God in everything that we do? By understanding the process of how it was done before. By appreciating what those who came before us have done. (sighs) Have you ever thought about toilet paper and how it was made? You know, everyone uses it every day, but how many know how it's made, or appreciate all the work and manpower that it took to produce one roll. I never gave it much thought until last year when it was in short supply. Well, you know, first of all, you prepare trees by stripping off their bark. The logs pass through machines that chip them into small pieces. These wood chips are separated into batches. The wood chips are mixed with other chemicals inside this massive pressure cooker for approximately three hours. A pulp is made from that, and then it's washed clean of the cooking chemicals. The washed pulp is bleached until all the color is removed. Then the pulp is mixed with a lot of water to produce paper stock. That paper is then pressed and dried to final moisture. The paper is scraped off with metal blades and wound onto jumbo reels. Then the paper is moved to machines that cut it into log strips and perforate it into squares. Finally, the paper logs are cut into rolls and wrapped packages. They are then put on a truck and shipped to the store where employees put them on the shelf. Wow. Now, every time you rip off a toilet paper from its role, you will have a new appreciation to how it ended up in your bathroom. (laughs) Well, what I'm getting at here is we take for granted the life that we have here in America, the freedoms with all of its privileges. We can look around and see the results of those that have manufactured, quote, quote, America. We are the wealthiest nation in the world, knock on wood. We have the best hospitals in the world. We have 4% of the world's population, but we produce more inventions than all the other 96% of the world combined. We have 4% of the world's population, but yet we produce 25% of the world's domestic product. When disaster hits somewhere in the world, America is the first to respond and give aid. People all over the world try to come to this country so they can experience the American dream. We see the finished product, but what was the process to be the most powerful, prosperous, and wanted place to live in in the world? How did they do it? What was their secret formula? How did they show glory and honor to God in everything they did? What were the principles they used that we also could use to create wholesome, godly communities? I will answer that question on the next episode. Don't miss it. I will give biblical principles for us to use and then give pr- practical ideas on how we can create wholesome, godly communities. I really appreciate you listening. Please share this message. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe now to help us get the message out to as many people as we can. Let's refocus, reclaim, rebuild.